Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100, uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511-511, and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text wine to 511-511, Cameron Hughes wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Is it the end of the American empire? You know, what was the American empire, for that matter? From, from Trump's insane, uh, I, I, I can't even call it an immigration policy. His, his brutal re-election policy to the, to the uh, you know, general insanity of Paul Ryan's press conference this morning, which he was blaming the inability of Republicans to pass legislation when they control, in the House of Representatives, when they control the majority of the House of Representatives, blaming it on... Democrats in the Senate, right? Seriously, I'm not making this up. Paul Krugman uh, writes in the New York Times today, the fall of the American empire, it's the, it's the title. And the point that he makes is that, you know, yeah, we may have 700, 900, whatever it is, military bases all over the world. And we may be, you know, basically the reinvention of ancient Rome in terms of a military empire. But the power that America historically had in the world was not a military power. And I realize, you know, Chris Hedges and others have documented so well the abuse of American military power, particularly when it's done on behalf of corporate interests all around the world. But 
To this point, Krugman's main point is that the way that we principally influence the world, the way that we help bring about progressive democracies across Europe, in South America, in Asia, the, the, the way, you know, supporting and, and supportive of those from Japan to South Korea to Taiwan, etc. The way that we did that was not by force of arms, it was by force of moral example. That we were great because we were good. Now, obviously, you know, a country that is to this day, you know, killing its people with guns at an insane rate and, and whose cops, whose police officers are routinely uh, killing unarmed young black men. And we'll get to that as we continue through the program today. Uh, can't be entirely good. But broadly speaking, you know, we had been the country of ideals. We had been the country was that, you know, to, to, as John Kennedy said, we were the city on the hill. He was quoting John Winthrop, the uh, preacher who was uh, part of uh, one of the early, in the, in the 1680s, as I recall, one of the early uh, settlements in North America. And then, of course, Ronald Reagan took Kennedy's quote, added the word shining to it, and made us the shining city on the hill. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, this was the source of our goodness. And, and, and now, from the economic to the political to the moral, we seem to be collapsing. And, and, and tr Donald Trump, in my opinion, is not the cause of these collapse. It's a symptom of the collapse. The, 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 these broad principles that this country historically stood for, even when we acted them out poorly, Right. I mean, you know, World War II, we're fighting for democracy with a segregated army. But even at that, we no longer have a segregated army. Right. It's, I mean, you know, it's like step by step. We've 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 come a long way. And now, in my opinion, what Trump is, is the symptom of this regressive tact that we've taken, a regressive tact that has been pushed by a small group of right wing billionaires who have largely seized control of our economy through their businesses and their, and their business monopolies, number one. Control of our wealth, half of all, all new wealth in the United States is going to the top uh, 1%. And, and control of our politics. For example, you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the economic realm, our businesses are no longer, we're no longer starting businesses in this country. I've started seven successful businesses in my, well, five successful businesses in my life, two that were kind of, eh, and one that just crashed and burned terribly, right? That, you know, anybody who's a serial entrepreneur can tell you stories like that. People aren't doing that anymore. And I've employed hundreds of people over the years and, and created those jobs and companies that, that, you know, still to this day exist. And, and, you know, and many that don't, but, you know, they were part of the engine of economic growth in the United States. This uh, quartz.com reporting, or QZ.com. Uh, the U.S., the headline, the U.S. startup company is disappearing and that's bad for the economy. While companies were, that were less than two years old make up, made up 13% of all companies in 1985. 19, 1985 was two years after Reagan suspended the enforcement of the Sherman Antitrust Act, which to this day has not been successfully enforced in any meaningful way against giant monopsonies. So at that point in time, 13% of all companies were less than two years old. They were startup companies. 13%. Now, as the result of these giant mergers that happened because Reagan suspended the Sherman Act, it's harder and harder to break into a new industry. And if you do a big company in that industry, if you come up with a great new idea, they'll just co-opt your idea and squash you like a bug. And you try to sue them, good luck. They got, they got lawyers out the wazoo. You'll never have enough money to sue these guys. So it's now 8%. From, 90, from the 90s until uh, the 2010, the number of people who worked in companies that were less than two years old used to be 9% of our, of our workforce. It's, in 2010, it was 5%. This is from a study from Brookings Institution, number one. Number two, I was talking about this small group of right-wing billionaires. I'm going to read you the last paragraph of this article by Glenn Thrush and Erica Green in today's New York Times first, and then I'll read you the, the uh, opening paragraph. The last paragraph, you know, buried at the very end, 
Administration officials said the blueprint for the plan was a 2017 list of reorganization recommend, uh, recommendations produced by the Conservative Heritage Foundation. The right-wing billionaires. The group's wish list included the, includes the elimination of a handful of well-known federal programs, including the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Gee, that just protects consumers, right? Screw them! The Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Yeah, who needs public radio? After all, occasionally they tell the truth on there, you know? And the Export-Import Bank. Okay, here's the lead paragraph now. President Trump plans to propose a reorganization of the federal government as early as Thursday today that includes a possible merger of the education and labor departments coupled with a reshuffling of other domestic agencies to make them easier to cut. Today's New York Times. And even more broadly speaking, I mean, we used to stand for at least, hey, you know, we believe that every country should engage in trade in a way that works to their benefit. And other countries can protect themselves from that by having laws and policies and tariffs and whatnot that, you know, that protect them. Well, here's the story. This is from today's New York Times, Alan Rappaport and Nicholas Fandos. Actually, yesterday's New York Times. President Trump urged lawmakers on Wednesday not to scuttle his administration's efforts to help the Chinese telecom firm ZTE warning Republicans that his reprieve for the company was part of a broader geopolitical negotiating strategy. Right. As we all know, that apparently that negotiating strategy had to do with the Trump Hotel in, in Indonesia getting a half a billion dollars, $500 million from the Chinese government, and another half a billion, another $500 million from a bank largely owned by the Chinese government, and his daughter getting 14 trademarks from the Chinese government. And all of a sudden, hey, ZTE, come on in. And keep in mind, it was Trump who first proposed banning ZTE, or at least the Trump administration through Wilbur Ross's Department of Commerce. So what does uh, you know, one of the head Republicans in the Senate say about this? John Cornyn. Well, I'm pretty optimistic we'll be able to come up with something that preserves the president's leverage, because he's telling us, look, when I'm negotiating with Xi, this is more than just trade. This is more than just sanctions. This is about North Korea and other geopolitical issues. So we wanted to make sure we weren't stepping on his need to have credibility and to be able to use his military authority, his authority to negotiate as well as in, the, in these other spaces. So all Trump has to do is invoke national security and the Republicans roll over. Meanwhile, speaking of the, of the idea of American nobility, uh, nobility is the wrong word, American morality. This headline, I'll share the story with you after the break. Migrant children drugged without consent at government centers. And it's actually worse than the headline sounds. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Is Trump the symptom of the collapse of America or the cause? I'm of the opinion that he's the symptom, but what do you think? And welcome back. Josh in Abington, Virginia. Hey, Josh, thanks for watching Free Speech TV on the Dish Network. What's on your mind today? Hey there, Tom. Um, I've, I've had this little equation mulling around in my head for a month or so, and I've been wanting to tell you about it. It kind of helps with uh, inequality, explaining the inequality in the country and maybe even gives context to the ridiculousness of the Orange Menace's border wall. It's a simple $1 billion divided by 300 Americans. That's $2.8 million per person for the whole country. Uh, no, it's yeah. not. If you divide a billion dollars by 360 Americans, you get um, $3 a person, roughly. $1 billion? Yeah, $1 billion is 1000000 million. If you're taking $300 million and dividing that into 1000 million, you get slightly more than two, slightly less than three, period. Oh, well, maybe it was $2 that I was looking at. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think you were thinking of okay. a trillion dollars, not a billion dollars. A, bi a trillion dollars is $100,000 yeah. million. Dollars. And in that case, you would have, uh, if you divided a trillion dollars, then each person would have roughly two point something hundred thousand dollars. You still uh, wouldn't get to a million dollars a person, but you get to a couple hundred thousand a person. And a trillion dollars, well, you know, it, it sounds, you know, unachievable, but, you know, uh, a trillion and a half is the amount of money that the Republicans gave to the billionaire class just this year in tax cuts. Yeah, not to mention what they put into elections instead of just paying their taxes. Yeah. Would been, or just even actually helping people with it or yep. reinvesting it in their com uh, companies or what have you. Anyway, I'm sorry. I messed up my math. Maybe I put a couple extra zeros in on my calculator. It surprised me, and 
I just thought it might be a reference, but still the border wall is really unachievable with all the eminent domain problems that would go on for the decades also. Yeah, although heard, although since since the um, oh, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the Supreme Court decision, the one on eminent domain, the one that caused uh, you know one of, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices to to retire and go back to New Hampshire, but that that case was uh, yeah, it was a pretty big deal. And yeah. uh, oh, the Kilo Help case. The pipeline, Thank you, right? Sean. Yeah, the Kilo case. Uh, and yeah. and since the Kilo case, uh, the the uh, the ability of the government to exercise eminent domain has been radically expanded. Now, this arguably yeah. wouldn't specifically deal with Kilo because what Kilo said was uh, that government could take property from individual property owners for on behalf of a private company, if what the private company was going to do was going to be of substantial benefit to the government and the community. And in the, and in the case of Kilo, it was tearing down some low-income housing and replacing it with some upscale apartments, as I recall. And, mm. and uh, you know, they said, you know, hey, you're going you're gonna to raise the value of the property values. That's going to be a good thing. Um, but, yeah. but, but broadly, as a consequence of that decision, eminent domain has just become much, much harder to fight because they expanded eminent domain so much that when you would fight it just based on government issues, like, hey, I don't want my, my ranch taken to, to build your damn wall, um, you know, your ability to make that argument has been diminished. Josh, right. good points all. Thanks. I keep doing the math. You know, just... Keep doing it carefully. <laughs> Josh, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. And I appreciate you watching Free Speech TV. We'll be right back. It's 20, and a, 20 minutes and one half past the hour. We're talking about the collapse of America, basically. There are the, at least the collapse of moral America. There are many of us who are, who are fighting this. I am fighting this. You are fighting this. There are many of us who who are trying to, to bring America back to its senses, to bring America back to reasonable policies, uh, to bring back America to egalitarian policies, and to expand those policies. And, and many of us are, are absolutely horrified by the stuff that America is doing right now. This from today's Huffington Post. The article is titled, Migrant children drugged without consent at government centers, court documents show. Staff working on the behalf of the Office of Refugees Settlement are routinely drugging detained child migrants with psychotropics, that's psychologically acting drugs, without their parents' consent, according to legal filings. One child cited in the lawsuit reportedly taking nine, nine pills in the morning and another seven in the evening without knowing what the medication was. The uh, lawsuit memo says uh, ORR, that's the Office of Refugee Resettlement, ORR routinely administers to children psychotropic drugs without lawful authorization. When youth object to taking such medications, ORR compels them. One girl, Julio Z, identified in court records, says the staff threw him to the ground, Julio Z, and forced him to take medication. He, sa he said he witnessed staff pry another child's mouth open to force him to swallow a pill. When Julio Z, uh, Julio Z re attempted to refuse the medication, he said the doctor ignored him. They told me if I did not take the medication, I could not leave, that the only way I could get out of Shiloh was if I took the pills. Sometimes they gave me forced injections. Another child, identified as Rosa L., said, one or two staff hold my arm and the nurse gives me an injection. The attorneys... Uh, Julio Z reported gaining 45 pounds in a matter of two months. A mother of a child identified in court records as Isabella M. said the medications were so powerful that her daughter repeatedly fell when she tried to walk. The court filings have identified the drugs as, and the only one of these that I'm familiar with uh, is uh, clonazepam, which I'm probably mispronouncing. But I believe that that's and, and the reason I, I'm familiar with that is, I, I, I think I'm familiar with it, is I think that this is an antipsychotic that was sometimes used on ADHD kids. Uh, but I, I could be wrong. I'm not, you know, I don't know what these drugs are. If you do, if you're a physician or a pharmacist or you, you know what these things are, these are the drugs that are being given to these children against their will to chemically restrain them, basically. It's, it's a cage, but it's not a physical cage. Clonazepam, duloxetine, guanfacine, Geodon, Olanzapine, Latuda. I'm probably mispronouncing all of these, but I'm pronouncing them as it appears they spell. They are spelled and Divalprox. 
The injected medications are not identified in the court records. So this is the stuff we're doing. Here in Portland, in Portland, Oregon, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, this is from the Oregonian, our local newspaper here in Portland, uh, owned by a New York, a right-wing New York media conglomerate. Anyhow, the, uh, the article, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler lambasted the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency in a series of tweets Wednesday and announced that he will not have city police break up a protest at the federal agency's Southwest Portland field office. Protesters have four days demonstrated at that field office, heckling agency workers and erecting dozens of tents around the building off Southwest McAdam Boulevard. Here's a clip of, of uh, a speaker yesterday in front of the ICE headquarters here in Portland. There we go. So there you go, you've got you know, protesters, in, and the protests actually shut down the field office. And in an in incredible moment of irony yesterday, the people in the field office tw uh, tweeted out, would you please let us out, we want to visit our families. This is ICE, right? Meanwhile, unarmed teenager Antoine Rose shot three times in the back by f while fleeing police. You can, if you're watching, you can see the video on the screen. 17-year-old boy in East Pittsburgh is dead after being shot three times in the back. They said he was part of a car that was involved in a drive-by shooting, but the driver was released by the police after they investigated, so apparently that was not the case. But even if it was the case, when did our police officers become the executioners in our criminal justice program? When did we start shooting people as they are fleeing? This is not America, or at least, it's at least not the values that we thought we had. To the Tom Hartman program, call 202-808-9925. We are morphing, as Milton Mayer wrote, into a nation of incredible fear and hate. This is not good. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush, or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never... Used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. I just uh, shared with you a story about how some of these children in detention are being drugged let me add to this. This was a piece by Laura Clausen over at the Daily Kos. The headline, Immigrant Teens Beaten and Shackled Naked for Days at Virginia Detention Center. A 15-year-old from Mexico held at Shenandoah, is the name of the detention center, for nine months, recounted being restrained with a bag over his head. Quote, They handcuffed me and put a white bag of some kind over my head. This is a sworn statement from this kid, 15-year-old. They took off all my clothes and put me into a restraint chair where they attached my hands and feet to the chair. They also put a strap across my chest. They left me naked and attached to that chair for two and a half days, including at night. Immigrant teens beaten and shackled naked for days at Virginia Detention Center. Keep in mind, this is the president who thinks that torture is just a fine thing, that Abu Ghraib was a, you know, well, I don't know if he's specifically spoken about Abu Ghraib, but certainly Guantanamo is a marvelous thing. should be expanded. We need to send more people to Guantanamo, says, says uh, Donald Trump. Reginald from Houston, Texas. Hey, Reginald, what's on your mind? Hey, 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 hey,
uh, police departments came out of the slave patrol when uh, the, uh, the, they set up the patrol to for fugitive slaves. Absolutely in the South, yes. Absolutely. Less, less than two-thirds of a person, they were dispensable property and thinkers and indoctrinated and nated into the, the psychic of the American police force that was indoctrinated up under that slave patrol organization. And, you know, I was listening to Seymour Hurst the other day, and he was talking about, you know, we're in seven, six countries now, you know, uh, and could commit and he committing, uh, uh, I say, atrocities and just being having occupations. And, you know, Dr. King said America was the biggest of their violence in the world. You know, we took from the, from the Indians. We took from the Mexicans. We took here this country also by exploring the, uh, the blacks and the slavery system, the convict lease system that I'm a part of here in Texas. You know, we, we're taking a lot. If we don't want people to terrorize us, we have to be stuck back in like terrorists. And we are the ones who implemented the nuclear weapon. We don't want to drop the nuclear weapon. We want everybody else to put their weapons down. And then once they do it, we may do like they did in Iraq and Libya. We'll go and invade them, you know, because they don't have weapons or whatever. Then we'll turn around and don't even give an excuse, an apology, an investigation while we're doing it. We, we need to put our weapons down. If we don't want to be terrorized, we have to stop acting like terrorists and be, be about peace and the Prince of Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very well said, Reginald. And, and this, is, this is the original sin of America, is the genocide of Native Americans and the genocidal and torturous imprisonment, enslavement of, of Africans who were brought to this, to, brought to this country as well uh, by white Europeans. And, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that the largest genocide in history was not committed by Adolf Hitler. It was committed by a series of American presidents from George Washington through, uh, you know, uh, geez, up until the 19, well, the murder genocide until uh, early 20th century, maybe Woodrow Wilson's administration. And, uh, and, and the, the uh, you know, taking away of children uh, in Indian schools was going on right up until the 1970s in the United States. And, yeah, this, this is the history of the United States. We and, need... You know, Tom, and also, you know, down here in Texas, we, we, are, we are struggling uh, for jobs here. And I wish they would get those people green cards, Tom so that they, they would have fair representation for work because our employers here prefer to use undocumented instead of people who are documented. We have to use e-verification and TWIC. They don't want to use that, you know, yeah. and that's what, how they're exploiting the, the immigrants by paying them substandard wages. Well, and we have a, we have a workforce that is aging, too. And, and, but, you know, in, in, in classic economic theory, I mean, you go back to David Ricardo and his, uh, his book on wages from, from uh, 19, uh, 1819, I think it was, um, and, you know, he pointed out that as the workforce gets smaller, wages go up. But right now what we're seeing is that the workforce has gotten smaller, in part because people are aging out of the workforce, in part because people are just giving up in discouragement, and in part because immigrants who are a part of our workforce are, are you know, being pushed out of the workforce and are fleeing the country. But wages are not going up. And that indicates that we no longer have anything that would have resembled what uh, David Ricardo would have referred to as a free market economy. Instead, what we have is an economy controlled, and thank you for the call, Reginald, very well said. We have an, an economy now that is controlled by giant corporations and a body politic now that is controlled by a handful of very, very wealthy right-wing billionaires. That's where we're at. And that, those two things, I, I claim, uh, have led to the moral collapse of America and that is leading to the actual collapse of America. Jesse in Miami, you have some thoughts on this, Jesse. Yeah, hi, Tom. Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to look at it really simple. When we say we would like to take politics out of money, I think we need to reverse it, take money, take the politics out of money, because yeah. everything we've done since what Jesus Christ warned us about, the politics of the money changer up until now, when you, you you have drugs, psycho drugs given to kids, what's the politics of it? To make money or something like that. So to say take money out of politics is really confusing people because most of us think that look at money is like, you know, it's a tool, it's an object, it's an idol. Right. And it's really lifeless. We are the, the prime force behind what we do with that tool. Yeah. So we need to take ourselves out of the money to really justify the way we live. So that's that's kind of the way I see it. Yep, I, I absolutely agree, Jesse. And 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 a very you know most people don't make that connection. You know everybody knows the phrase "get money out of politics," right? We you know and we all know that we've got legalized bribery, but the but the politics now, uh, which has been 
captured by money is now helping those people who have money to get more money and preventing people who don't have money from getting any money. And that, that's, that's really what's going on. Very, very excellent point, Jesse. Thank you for calling and making it. Al in Beverly Shores, Indiana. Hey, Al, what's up? First of all, the, most of those drugs that you mentioned right. are Wellbutrin-esque phenothiazine derivatives. So they're, um, they are, uh, well, wait a minute, phenothiazine. That's, you know, Wellbutrin, I thought it was a SSRI. Are these an, all yeah, antipsychotics? Right. They're antipsychotics. So, yeah, they, turn, so they, they basically they turn people into drooling zombies. Into zombies. But the thing I wanted to talk to you about, and you're kind of going around the edges of it, is take what we have now. And the economy, the way it's going, and, you know, I've read your book, The Crash of 2016. Let's superimpose The Crash of 2016 onto this. Oh, boy. Also, I want to point out that in many states, they're now depaving roads. They have these huge machines that they drive down roads that have lots of potholes. They take the uh, asphalt, they grind it up, and they spit it out as dirt roads. Right. It's being done extensively in Michigan, among other states. Yeah, uh, particularly around the, the Detroit area, where you know we're seeing depopulation, and they just don't—they don't have the money. And it's—it's it's, well, they do have the money. The state certainly has the money. The local communities may not, but under emergency management, under these dictators that have been appointed by Rick Snyder, this is again part of this whole neoliberal agenda of destroying local control, destroying democracy and replacing it with auto autocracy, with autocratic rule, with, with uh, the, you know, the power of the billionaires. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. I think you're 100% right. And as a matter of fact, I say it all the time to Trump supporters that I'm, I'm talking to. I don't, uh, Trump is a symptom. He's not the problem, you know. And I always have to tell them, I don't even know Trump personally, okay? So I, don't, I certainly don't hate the guy. But I just wanted to add to it. Uh, recently, I've been paying attention to, like, um, you know, John Kelly. For instance, there's a report. It's anecdotal, granted. That You're John talking about the president's chief of staff. Yes, okay. the president's chief of staff, General Kelly. He is spending, like, midday at the gym, supposedly, and he's telling people, in, you know, inside that, hey, you know, if Trump gets impeached, his, you know, John Kelly's saying his conscience is clear. He did everything to prevent it. And then even as recently as this morning, I was listening to Paul Ryan, and um, really the fate of this republic as it stands is in the hands of the Republicans, whether we like it or not. Yep. The problem is, is they are not acting like Republicans. Long story short, Republicans should be telling Donald Trump, hey, this is last call, fella. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's what they should be doing. But they're not. Well, and a few did. You know, Jeff, Jeff Flake and, and Bob Corker basically said that to Trump. And now they're not even running for re-election. Well, what, what worries me is that Trump does have some advisors that are eventually, at least I believe, that are eventually going to come to the uh, realization that what they need is a war. What they need to focus everyone's attention and to, to keep their, their, uh, their, their um, evolution of fascism intact is a war. Right, and they're, and they're going to have that war, Dave, I predict, in Iran. It's going to start in Iran, but see, the corporations of China and Russia... They must know that right now they have a technological advantage. Trump alluded to it with his Space Force comment. Right. Okay, they've weaponized things above the Kármán line up in outer space, and we don't have the technology to really uh, re uh, to do anything about that right now. But in a protracted arms race, we will win. Okay, Maybe. They, they have Maybe. I, you know, Dave, China is pouring money into their military like there's no tomorrow. And I seriously believe that arms race, you know, that the most important part of the arms race right now is the cyber war stuff. And we are apparently falling behind in that very, very rapidly. I mean, uh, apparently North Korea has the ability to take down American cities. I'm still trying to figure out what happened. You know, when two days in a row, Comcast lost their phone service all over the country uh, and it never got reported on, which makes me think that it was a national security issue that we got hacked by another country. Yeah, it's probing. Yeah, they, yeah, definitely. It's just corporate reaction, you know. And um, like anything in nature, it's the the reaction could be quite violent. And I don't think um, I I worry that America's really not, you know, our time, our days are numbered. So yeah. Well, we need to be very careful and very ready and very concerned about you know uh, the small things that can become big things. Dave, thanks for your contribution to your call. Small things that could become big things like, you know, Archduke Ferdinand being assassinated in World War I, leading to World War I, and false flag operations.
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Or things that some people might think are false flag operations that actually aren't. You know, like 9-11. You know, just another terrorist attack could just throw us right into another war. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, on the line with us is political essayist and commentator, contributor to Salon, host of the Chauncey DeVega Show podcast at ChaunceyDeVega.com. You can tweet him at Chauncey DeVega. Chauncey DeVega himself. Chauncey, welcome back to the program. How are you? Doing great. Always a pleasure to be here. It's great having you with us. So, uh, Chauncey, you, you wrote this piece uh, over at Salon. Uh, I believe it's at Salon. Let me get back over here. Yeah, it's at Salon. Uh, titled, Why Won't the Mainstream Media Tell the Truth About Racist Ghoul Stephen Miller? On this program, uh, you know, several days ago when, the, when it became, or maybe a week or so ago, when it became obvious that Trump was running a 2018-2020 uh, re-election, you know, Republican re-election strategy, by demonizing people of color, specifically in this case, cent largely Central American refugees, and calling them something other than that. And the media was going along by not calling them refugees, by calling them migrants and immigrants. Um, that, that this was, in fact, I said it on this program, I've said it numerous times, this is Stephen Miller's strategy. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, did, I never dug into that. I just, I just said it. Please, who is Stephen Miller? Why should we care? What's going on here? Tell us about this. Well, the New York Times actually had a piece, a sort of quote-unquote expose about Donald Trump's evil, hellish policy that is really ethnic violence, again, not against non-whites. Because, again, these aren't white folks that this is being done to. This is brown folks coming here because of war, seeking uh, a better life. But most of them are refugees. Stephen Miller, again, there's a ton of evidence about this man. This is not hard to find. Stephen Miller's a white supremacist. He was mentored and worked in college with Richard Spencer, who's one of the country's most prominent white supremacists. Stephen Miller, just like uh, Ant Michael Anton, Stephen Bannon, Sebastian Gorka, they hide behind this language of populism and nationalism and ethno-populism, which is just white supremacist, white nationalist newspeak. If you look at Stephen Miller in high school, his high school friends basically said he's a racist. You should be terrified of this man. Stephen Miller in high school, his formative years, basically broke up a relationship with a Hispanic brother because he said, I can't be friends with Latinos and Hispanics anymore. While in high school, Stephen Miller trolled and harassed black and brown students in his high school. He even gave a speech, Tom, where he basically insulted the black and brown janitors. Who does this thing? And right. then if you look at policy from immigration to, quote, unquote, wanting to shut down the border to now we have apparently a leak from the White House, someone who's you know, within the inner circle saying Stephen Miller is gloating about these images of our little children, black and brown children, in this case, Hispanic Latino children, in cages. Right, he says it makes this the snowflakes evil. go crazy. He's a professional troll. And trolling is, again, a strategy we're seeing with the quote-unquote alt-right, which are basically white supremacists and white nationalists, to assault common decency, to assault the common good. And I'm just so frustrated and disgusted, as I'm sure you are and many of your listeners, that the New York Times, again, has failed. They failed in their um, obligation to provide both context and information, because information without context from a major media outlet, that's malpractice. And they did it again. I'm sure you saw this with Stephen Miller. They had an interview with him on the record about this evil policy of destroying families, and they nixed it because the White House complained. Right. They nixed uh, broadcasting, uh, putting out the audio of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, Stephen Miller would have sounded like the smug, self-satisfied white racist that he apparently is. Um, I'm guessing. So, and that, that also gets us to, you know, pardon me, you know, the interruption, to Noam Chomsky. You know, thinking about Noam Chomsky and his, you know, magisterial essay about the idea of the corporate media and how the press, the fourth estate, became the news media. It's about profits. Yeah. And the New York Times, just like other major media outlets, they value access over truth-telling. And they well, won't tell you the truth about Donald Trump because they want access. Yeah, this is the change that happened in, in 1987 when, when Ronald Reagan repealed the Fairness Doctrine. Prior to that, in order to keep their broadcast licenses... The radio and television stations of America, and thus the, light, the networks that fed them, had to actually provide new, real news. It was called programming in the public interest. And after 1987, they no, no longer had to. Within six months of Reagan undoing that, the news division of CBS News was moved under the purview of the vice president of entertainment. Uh, you know, news became entertainment officially in 1987 at CBS and on all the other networks within a year. And it still is. It's infotainment. We, you know, it's, the, the, it's like Les Moonves said on that investor call, you know, about Donald Trump back in, uh, you know, before the election. Um, but during the primaries, he said, you know, Donald Trump may be bad for America, but he's great for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Uh, this is what we have. It is why he, it doesn't matter the network you tune to, MSNBC, CNN, obviously Fox, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, if Donald Trump is doing something, you're going to see him on television. Absolutely. I mean, and here are the other, again, you know, tricks that they use. Literally, they are tricks. It's about framing. Both sides do it. What about ism? Always trying to find some false equivalency, 
So literally, you will see, you'll have a representative from the Trump regime on the television lying, lying. Right. And then you'll have supposedly serious people debating him. You don't debate lies. And right. what this does is, and Lakoff, George Lakoff had a great interview where he outlined how this happens, is the mainstream news media, they pick up these lies and circulate them. The average person who's busy, distracted, full of anxiety, even if they have access to information, what is the quality of it, all they're hearing is this echo chamber where Trump's lies are repeated over and over and over and over again. So even by giving a platform to these professional right-wing Trump fascist propagandists, they're not speaking truth to power. They're actually helping him. Well, and one of the things we know is that when a, particularly when a lie is a frame at the same time it's a lie, which is what Trump's doing, you know, MS-13. You know, portraying all these uh, young brown kids coming from south of the border as as potential gang members. And it's the reason why, uh, and I'm assuming Stephen Miller's fing fingerprints are all over this, why the White House uh, directed uh, the, uh, uh, which are ICE, I guess it is, who is running these detention centers or the ORR, to only uh, release pictures of, of teenage boys, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, gee, those teenage boys, that's, these are MS-13 members, or they sure could be. They definitely will be when we're done with them. You know that kind of stuff, and 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 it's 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 so hard to fight. I mean, it's it's so hard to challenge when 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 they pick up a lot or you know Spygate. Trump you know invented this word Spygate to suggest that the FBI had embedded a spy inside his presidential campaign, which was a lie from the beginning. But every time they repeated the word, that's all they had to do. And uh, these guys are very very good at this. So, well, here's another example. You know, Goebbels would be proud of this one. Even thinking about the language that the mainstream media, the so-called liberal media, there's no liberal media in this country, it's corporate media, how, again, they're doing this evil work. So these are prison camps for children. These are prisons. Right. These are not open tent cities. These are concentration camps. There's a great piece by a scholar over at Haaretz who's written extensively about the Holocaust, basically saying these are concentration camps. Um, another one would be tender care centers. Right. What madness is this? These are prisons for babies. But they repeat the narrative, and they, they may put it in quotation marks. So they may say that Trump dissembles, or the facts are in dispute. This man is a professional liar, and because he's a fascist and authoritarian, what is one of the key strategies? Timothy Snyder and I have talked about this extensively on my podcast and also at Salon.com, where I've interviewed him repeatedly, that the fascist authoritarian wants to create confusion. Donald Trump is a human chaos engine, and the chaos and the confusion is how he advances his uh, policy. So here's something else that you probably have uh, spoken about or shared on your show. So we have all this chaos about Trump's assault on families driven by Stephen Miller at the border. Well, while this is going on, this maelstrom, these Republicans in Congress are basically trying to cut Social Security and Medicare. Right. Where's the focus on that? Yeah, and over, over a trillion dollars, by the way, $1.5 trillion. They want to cut uh, almost $600 million out of Medicare, excuse me, billion dollars out of Medicare, and uh, you know, billions of dollars out of Social Security and, and uh, put lifetime caps on Medicaid recipients, which is going to be a disaster for most Medicaid recipients. I mean, this, this is... This is, you know, these are crimes against the republic that are, that are being completely ignored by the media because, uh, hey, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, this, this freak show going on over here. It's a really, really devious strategy. Yeah. And it's remarkably successful. And I'm sure a lot of folks probably don't want to hear this because they're so excited about Trump's fate because it's not an executive order. This memo he issued would actually make in many ways things worse. Now you're locking up whole families and it doesn't actually do Indefinitely. 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 We've gone from a 20-day limit to indefinite. I mean, this is going to make an enormous amount of profit for his buddies in the private prison industry. Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, this is again where we get to the emoluments clause. We need to have transparency with Trump and his inner circle and how they're profiting from this. But again, yeah. as I said, it's going to be an unpopular opinion. Trump won. I yeah. know folks are so excited, but he won yeah. because he created chaos. He assaulted people. It's ethnic violence. And what, what authoritarians do, and Trump has done this repeatedly with his assault on American democracy, is they test limits. Yeah. They and, 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 then, and then they and see Chauncey, we're, we're out of time, but uh, Chauncey DeVega, the great Chauncey DeVega with us. Hang on just a second, Chauncey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Most of his writings are over at Salon.com, but you can also go to ChaunceyDeVega.com and tweet him at Chauncey DeVega. Chauncey, thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great talking with you. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech. And yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary. And it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world 
period. The X-Ray's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at one 844 xchair This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com right now. Use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to get into a rant here in a few minutes about uh, the, you know, making money off disaster, how it happened in Nazi Germany, how it's happening here, uh, Godwin's law notwithstanding. Uh, but uh, first, Jeff Cohen is with us, media crit critic and lecturer, founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at the Ithaca College, where he's an associate professor of uh, journalism. His most recent book, Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. He was the senior producer of MSNBC's Phil Donahue program, uh, founder of Fairness and Accuracy and Reporting, FAIR, co-founder of RootsAction.org. Um, his website is jeffcohen.com. Uh, there's a new movie out, allgovernmentslie.com. You can check it out. And uh, uh, Jeff, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you. It's jeffcohen.org. .org. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, and, in fact, that's what it says right here, jeffcohen.org, if I, if I said it wrong. Um, the, uh, the Democratic Party did this um, uh, Democratic autopsy report that, that uh, you edited. Do I have that right? Um, I edited this report that people can find. It's 33 pages. It published a year after the election. It's called democraticautopsy.org. And the reason a bunch of Democratic Party and progressive activists did the autopsy themselves, Tom, is because the Democratic Party leadership refused to do one. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's an, it's an independent research paper on why did the disaster of Trump defeating Hillary, why did it happen, and what can be changed so it doesn't happen again. So what are the conclusions that you all came to? Um, there are two areas. One is the Democratic Party has to change its policy orientation, and then the second area is the Democratic Party has to change the way it operates, the way it does voter outreach, the way it campaigns. Okay. So, you know... Take the first um, one first? Yeah. The listeners of your show know what the policy agenda would be. I hear you talking about it week after week. A policy agenda that's popular with the vast majority of people, not just Democrats. It's raising the military... I'm sorry, raising the minimum wage, uh, having health care for all, Medicare for all, enhanced Medicare for all, having free public college education, uh, loosening and relieving people of college debt, creating green jobs programs. The policy agenda, we know that a progressive agenda is the only way to defeat a populist charlatan like Trump, and there are going to be populist charlatans like Trump coming year after year after year. And the only way you defeat a phony populist who tries to appeal to white working class voters when he's got really policies that just are a giveaway to big corporations, the only way you can defeat that person in the policy front is with the full progressive populist agenda. So in other words, the only way to defeat a phony populist is with real populism. Damn right. And, yeah. that's, what the, and that's what this autopsy, and believe me, uh, I was an editor. It's a 33-page report. Anyone can read it at democraticautopsy.org. It lays this out with a lot of data and polling data and survey data. Mm. The second area, Tom, that needs to be changed is how the Democratic Party organizes, operates, campaigns. Okay. Uh, what we found, I could summarize what they do wrong in an incredible quote from Senator Schumer, who is soon to be the Democratic Party leader in the Senate in July of 2016, just four months before the disaster of Trump defeating Clinton. He said this, he said, for every working class Democrat that we lose in western Pennsylvania, we will pick up two moderate Republicans 
in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and we can repeat that in Ohio, Illinois, and Pennsylvania, unquote. Yeah, and Harry, Truman, Harry Truman famously said, when a voter is, given the, is speaking directly to that, what you're talking about, um, Harry Truman, uh, you know, who himself could be accused of, of you know, being a, a little too middle of the road, but nonetheless yeah. uh, said, when the American voter is presented with a choice, between a Republican or a Democrat who acts like a Republican, they will choose the real Republican every time. Darn right. And so, so I mean, and when Schumer says, hey, we don't need the working class Democrats in western Pennsylvania, which is basically the Rust Belt, because we're going to pick up two moderate Republicans, that's how they spend their, in the suburbs of Philly, uh, that's how they spent their money. Well, this they comes did. out of the theory. Yeah. Al Fromm wrote a book about this, you know, yeah. uh, about how uh, he and Bill Clinton basically put together this Democratic Leadership Council thing in 1991, the DLC, and explicitly, they were going, and, and, and uh, uh, Thomas Frank, his book, Listen Liberal, yeah. you know, just really lays into this in great detail, as I'm sure you know, um, yeah. that explicitly, we, the, because Reagan has been, had been so successful in the 1980s and Reaganism in the 1990s, had been so successful at destroying unions in the United States and putting them on the run so that unions could not be major political forces, you know, sources of money, basically, for the Democratic Party, and things like so-called tort reform, limiting the amount that people could sue for, uh, harming the, the trial lawyers, who were the other major source of revenue for the Democratic Party, that we've got to find a new source of income if we're going to run campaigns. And this was before the Internet was a big thing, and you had to buy network television. And how do you come up with hundreds of millions of dollars to buy network television? Uh, well, let's pick some industries, some clean industries that we can get into bed with, specifically banking and insurance yes. and pharmaceuticals. Yep. And, you know, these are companies that, you know, are not controversial. People don't hate them. They're not associated with pollution. Um, they're not associated with corruption. Uh, let's throw our lot in with these companies. They'll give us big, big financial support and we'll ride to the presidency. And it actually worked for Clinton in the 90s. Yeah, it can't work anymore. Well, I mean, that's the point. Yeah, you're explaining why they have the moderate, vacillating, uninspiring uh, political agenda. If you're going to keep getting your money from the donor class, these so-called clean industries, you can't take the positions that would allow you to compete with Trump, the actual progressive populist. Right. You can't argue that, that the Postal Service should be also become a bank for low-income people and do away with payday lending uh, you know, if you're taking money from banks, no for doubt. example. No doubt. All right. So, so that's how they raise the money. And what, what the democraticautopsy.org also talks about is how they spent the money. If you decide that you're going to go after allegedly moderate Republican voters in Philadelphia, if there are any left in the suburbs, that means that you're going to have these wealthy white people who run the DNC and ran the Hillary campaign. They hire other well-to-do white people to run ads aimed at the persuadables. What we argued in, that, uh, in our Democratic autopsy is the money should have been spent instead of finding, spending millions of dollars to find a few moderate Republicans, if any of them still exist. What you should be spending your millions of dollars, and remember, Hillary totally outraised Donald Trump and had, by one report, five or six times as many staffers as Trump did. It's the way they spend the money. They should be spending it on mobilizing the base. They, was, uh, they should be mobilizing African-Americans and getting them to the polls, Latinos and getting them to the polls. They should be in every college town and getting young people, which is the most progressive demographic, to the polls. That's people 30 and under. But instead of spending money that way, the money, you know, how consultants get paid, they get paid a percentage of the ads that they run. Right. So all the money goes into the ads. And, and they weren't using cheap ads like you could find on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, they were, uh, you no, know, or email campaigns. Things. They were buying television. Right. So, so the Democratic autopsy criticizes their lousy policy agenda, a corporate mealy-mouthed policy agenda that didn't mobilize or enthuse voters. That's what Hillary failed to do in 2016. And then the way that the money is spent. There was a downturn in black turnout in 2016. It was even lower than the turnout for John Kerry among African Americans in 2004. There was a wow. decline in Latino turnout. And many young people voted third party. And that has to do with lack of voter mobilization and lack of a progressive policy agenda that would get people under 30 they're right. by far all that said though jeff uh, you know yeah. hillary clinton got three million more votes than donald trump oh i understand that but it shouldn't have been close right again yeah it should have been an absolute blowout and i of think course. it would have been and 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 you know the good news here jeff is uh, you know from what i'm hearing the progressive caucus is growing the progressive caucus is starting to have an impact we, you're seeing chuck schumer and nancy pelosi on occasion picking up these talking points from the progressive caucus and going forward with them i think it's slowly starting to sink in well 
the problem is... And a lot is, of people are getting, getting them, inserting themselves into the Democratic Party, a lot of progressives. Forgive my oh, interrupting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Activism from the base is really helping. But keep in mind, these corporate forces in the Democratic Party are in a war against the progressive base. Yeah. And that's being played out. If people are interested in that battle between the grassroots activist base of the Democratic Party and the corporate forces that, hell, they make money even if they win or lose elections, the best outlet for that is, besides Tom Harmon, is the intercept.com. Right. And they're covering this in race after race. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most And Lee Fong has done a great job, too. Yeah. Jeff, we're, yeah. we're hitting the break here. We're out of time. Jeff Cohen. JeffCohen.org is the website. DemocraticAutopsy.org. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Be back as I uh, dig into my rant about uh, the uh, surprising uh, companies that did business with the Nazis. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, here's, this is the, uh, the story that I wanted to share with you. This, the, 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 there is, let's, let's start at the beginning. The incentive to business is profit. Right? This is the principal incentive to business. It's the principal re- reason that people go into business. It's the principal reason that businesses continue. It's uh, arguably the only b- reason that businesses can continue doing business uh, is either breaking even or showing a profit if a business consistently loses money and goes out of business. It's just that simple. And profit does not respect people. Profit does not respect the environment. Profit does not respect morality. Profit does not respect humanity, fundamental humanity. Profit is simply an entry on a, on a bookkeeping sheet. And so when you have companies that are willing to put profits over people, which is the norm in the United States and around the world, frankly, then you have to have some power that can balance that. That's the idea of regulated capitalism is that you have capitalism, you have the profit motive, but you have regulation that prevents those people from engaging in the behaviors to generate profits that are destructive to society. So yes, you can sell drugs. No, you can't sell drugs that kill people. Yes, you can sell drugs. No, you can't charge absurd prices. So this is where we're failing in our regulatory system. And all the rest of the world has one that works. We pay the highest drug prices in the world, more than twice what any other country in the world is paying for pharmaceuticals, any other developed country. Why? because we don't regulate the price of drugs. So, you know, this is, what, this is the argument for regulated capitalism. But when the government itself goes insane, then the ability to regulate capitalists and the capitalist system, the ability to regulate capitalism collapses. And as the ability to regulate capitalism collapses, capitalism's excesses are used then to fuel the psychopathic government. It becomes an evil spiral, right? Ideally, you have a virtuous cycle where, you know, as, as, as capital is growing, uh, regulation is growing, and they grow together so that you have a strong and healthy economy, but it is balanced by strong and healthy laws that keep companies from, you know, uh, catching the, the uh, Lake Erie on fire or the Cuyahoga River on fire uh, in order to make more profit because pollution is always cheaper than, clean, than remediation. Uh, and then you have the EPA coming along, coming into existence in, the 19, in, in 72, saying, no, you can't do that anymore. You can still make a profit selling those chemicals, but you can't make that much of a profit that you're pouring them into the, into the Lake Erie or the Cuyahoga River, which ends up in Lake Erie, which killed Lake Erie and caught the river on fire. Can't do that anymore. That's a virtuous cycle of regulation and capitalism. The destructive one, the evil one, is when government starts aggressively deregulating companies, as happened, the first consequential piece of legislation Donald Trump signed as president was to allow coal companies to dump their waste material into rivers. It was against the law. It poisons people downstream. Rivers are a source of water, you know, to, 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 to probably over 100 million people in the United States. And it used to be illegal to pour, to pour coal waste into rivers. It contains, you know, cyanide, all kinds of things. So, in this evil cycle, what you see is companies collaborating with, with basically evil regimes. Kodak ran two uh, concentration camps, or didn't run them, but they used slave laborers from two concentration camps during World War II in Germany. When Nazism began, Wilhelm Klepper, Kepler, one of Hitler's top economic advisors, advised Kodak and several other U.S. companies 
they'd all benefit by firing all their Jewish employees in the U.S. Hugo Boss, in the 1930s, Hugo Boss made Nazi uniforms. Hugo Boss himself had joined the Nazi party. Volkswagen. Volkswagen, of course, you know, uh, was invented by Hitler. It was, you know, from the Nazi party. Bayer. During the, during the Holocaust, a German company called IG Farben manufactured Zyklon B. IG Farben is the company that turned the single largest profit from work with the Nazis. After the war, it was broken up and Bayer was one of its divisions and went on to become its own company. Siemens, Coca-Cola, IBM, Chase Bank, Standard Oil, Ford. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. All of these companies made great piles of money working for the Nazis, and I remembered poorly for it. Now, what about the contractors who are working for Trump now? I'll tell you about that after the break. So I was talking about the profit motive and how these for-profit companies helped the Nazis during World War II and have helped lots and lots of other brutal and repressive regimes. In fact, I would argue that many of the Silicon Valley companies have enabled the Chinese to build out the uh, surveillance state that they have and, uh, and other repressive regimes around the, around the world. But uh, it's also possible for the profit motive to infest a nonprofit. And typically it's done by virtue of the senior management of the nonprofit taking obscenely large salaries. The most highly paid nonprofit CEO in the United States until most recently was the head of the Red Cross, who makes $700,000 a year. When Elizabeth Dole took that job, uh, you know, the Republican wife of Bob Dole, Republican activist, she raised the salary to $700,000 a year. It was, it was shocking to a lot of people. In fact, it hurt the Red Cross for a while. But, you know, now it's still there and it's still... But uh, there's a new big dog in town, a new guy who's making serious bucks off a nonprofit charity. And uh, surprise, surprise, it is a nonprofit charity that is running detention centers in Texas. This is from a, uh, a report on CNN uh, by reporter Drew Griffith. Calls himself El Presidente. His staff once played hail to the chief and applauded when he arrived at one facility. It may be all tongue-in-cheek humor, but there's nothing funny about how much Juan Sanchez is being paid to run Southwest Key, a nonprofit housing half of all the migrant children separated from their families. Half of all the migrant children. According to the latest tax filings in 2017, Sanchez's Southwest Key nonprofit paid him $1.47 million, doubling the $770,000 he made the year before. Is that a lot, even for a nonprofit of his size? Apparently, yes. And then he, he, he interviews a guy who says, yeah, you know, the, the CEO of the Red Cross is the most highly paid nonprofit, and, and uh, he makes uh, seven or she or whatever it is, makes 700000 a year. So this is what happens, this, this, this evil cycle when, you know, greedy people or, you know, for-profit corporations, which by law have to be greedy people, go back to, you know, uh, Dodge v. Ford in the Michigan Supreme Court in the 1930s, when this happens. Ben, in Marion, North Carolina. Hey, Ben, thanks for the call. What's up? Mr. Hartman, so yes, sir. to speak with you. Thank you. Um, I'm a long-time admirer of what you do, and Thank I you. wanted to inform you that this death spiral of capitalism is taking effect even in rural North Carolina. Progressive here have been demonized beyond belief. I myself have experienced being ostracized from my church. My family no longer speaks with me. And it's very hard to comprehend exactly what is happening. But progressives are being demonized all across this country, even as we speak. Yep. The, the powers that be have taken Mr. Trump and his billionaire handlers have done an excellent job. Well, this is, this is an old playbook, Ben. You know, uh, Pastor Niemöller's famous uh, poem or whatever, you know, first they came for. You know what, what the first thing they came for was? I have no idea. He said, first they came for the trade unionists. And I was not a trade unionist, so I did not protest. And then they came for the communists, and I was not a communist, so I didn't protest. And then they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't protest. And then they came for the, for the, for the church people, and by then it was too late to protest. And there was one or two others in there, and I'm probably mangling it. But it started out with the trade unionists. They went after organized labor. Ronald Reagan started that process. Ben, spot on. And, the, and this is why progressives need to stand up. We need to speak out. We need to take over the Democratic Party, and we're damn close to doing it. And we need to move this country forward. Ben, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your perspective with us. Laurie in, Pencil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Laurie, we, we have less than a minute. What's up? 
Okay, Tom, I, I, I have seen evil as a child. I was uh, horribly abused by an uncle who was very powerful, sexually abused. And I am so worried about these young girls. You know, the, the administration so worried about this sex trafficking, sex trafficking. I can only imagine what is happening to some of these girls that are Yeah, and it happens to boys, too, by the way. Up. I, I'm sorry about that. Of course, it happens to boys. I'm a little nervous, and I was a little sad when you were talking. No, it's, 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 but it's, it's absolutely right. It's a, I, I think the numbers are one in three adult women uh, have have that in their past, and one in six or one in seven adult men. Um, and, and I wouldn't put it past. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him with, the, with his uh, criminal background, with his criminal connections, and you know, his relationship really, with Jeffrey I, Epstein. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My point. Yeah, so it's a, thank it's, you for your activism, and I just love your show, and I think you're doing so much good work, and we must all continue to get on with our work and activism. Amen, Lori. Lori, i got to run. Thank you very much for the call, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What a day. Sinclair is now trying to whitewash what Trump is up to. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Melania's effort is, I guarantee you, going to be used wall-to-wall by Fox so-called news, right-wing hate radio, all this other stuff. This is getting weird. It's getting, it, it, the backlash is extraordinary. People are waking up. When you can raise 20 million bucks to help out immigrant kids just like that, there's something going on. We'll talk about it tomorrow more. Don't forget, democracy requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.